0: Acts chapter 13, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there with me. Let us rejoice in the clear revelation of the Lord today that we find in the new covenant. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manan which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, And From thence they sailed to Cyprus, and when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. And when they had gone through the isle unto Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man.
1: Who called for
0: Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. But Elamus, the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. And Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him, and said, O full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil. Thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. And when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch and Pisidia, and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them, saying, Ye men and brethren, if ye have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Then Paul stood up, and beckoning with his hand, said, Men of Israel, and ye that fear God, give audience. The God of this people of Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land. Of Egypt. And with an high arm brought he them out of it. And about the time of forty years suffered he their manners in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he divided their land to them by lot. And after that he gave unto them judges, about the space of four hundred and fifty years, until Samuel the prophet. And afterward, they desired a king. And God gave unto them Saul, the son of Kis, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, by the space of forty years. And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Of this man's seed... Hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus? When John had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and as John fulfilled his course, he said, Whom think ye that I am? I am not he, but behold, there cometh one after me, whose shoes of his feet I am not worthy to loose. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause of death in him, yet desired they, Pilate, that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. But God raised him up from the dead, them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. And we declare unto you glad tidings. How that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore he saith also in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation, by the will of God fell on sleep, and was laid unto his fathers, and saw corruption. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sin. And by him all that believe are justified from all things, from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest that come upon you which is spoken of in the prophets. Behold ye despisers, and wonder, and perish, For I work a work in your days, a work which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. And when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. But seeing ye put it from you, and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as were ordained to eternal life. Believed. The word of the Lord was published throughout all the region, but the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coasts, but they shook off the dust of their feet against them and came unto Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. The Lord bless his word as it has been read and now as it is preached. We continue this Lord's day in our study of the New Covenant. Our study of the New Covenant in Hebrews chapter 8 is not some mere theoretical study that has no practical significance to our life in Christ. Dear ones, it is of the greatest importance with whom the new covenant is made. For the new covenant is the covenant of grace, realized and ratified by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who internally have not become partakers of the new covenant are lost and condemned by the covenant of works made with Adam. According to Romans 5.18, that all are condemned as a result of one man's sin. That would include infants, youth, adults, all, except Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15.22, all in Adam die, even as all in Christ shall be made alive. Either one is in Adam and is lost, or one is in Christ and is saved. There is no in-between territory, in-between or neutral ground in regard to this matter. Let me be absolutely clear on this point because it bears so greatly upon much of what is to be said today. There is no salvation since the time of Christ for anyone who internally has not become a partaker of the new covenant. There are no exceptions. Therefore, I am most strongly convinced that elect children dying in infancy, like David and Bathsheba's son, and other children who are regenerated by God before they are able to exercise personal faith in Jesus Christ, like John the Baptist, must, underline the word must, must be partakers of the new covenant. For there is no salvation for anyone outside of the new covenant in this age. Thus, our interpretation, our interpretation of the new covenant, as found in Hebrews chapter eight, verses eight through thirteen, must reflect. It must take into account that God has included infants in the new covenant, just as He has included youths in the new covenant, just as He has included adults in the new covenant. For to absolutely reject the place of infants in the New Covenant as members and partakers of the New Covenant is either to consign all infants dying in infancy to hell or it is to grant that there is in fact salvation to infants apart from the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Both of these options are in fact gross errors. We come this Lord's Day to the third part of our series in our consideration of the New Covenant as found in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 8 through 13. Previously, we have addressed first the parties involved in the New Covenant in Hebrews 8 8. Then, last Lord's Day, we considered the weakness of the Old Covenant as found in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 9 and 13. And today we shall consider together the blessings of the new covenant, as found in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 10 through 12. Let us then turn our attention to the blessings of the new covenant. Look with me, if you have your Bibles open, to Hebrews chapter 8, as I read verses 10 through 12. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me. From the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. The blessings specifically mentioned here in Hebrews chapter eight, verses ten through twelve, are clearly spiritual and internal in nature. There's no question about that. However, let no one mistakenly conclude that these particular spiritual blessings of the New Covenant are essentially different from the spiritual internal blessings that were promised and even realized in the Old Covenant. Dear ones, there is... Not an absolute difference between the Old and New Covenants, as we have seen in the past sermons. But rather, there is a comparative difference between the Old and New Covenants. Specifically, the Old Covenant is an age of anticipation. The New Covenant is an age of realization we might say the old covenant is an age of immaturity, the new covenant is uh, is an age of maturity. Thus, the blessings mentioned in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 10 through 12, are not absolutely new, but only comparatively new. New in the sense of new and improved, in that sense. For under the New Covenant, beloved, the blessings have been actually purchased. They've been actually bought. They've been actually paid for by the blood of Christ. Whereas under the Old Covenant, these blessings were enjoyed by the saints in token of Christ's future purchase. Now, I might illustrate the comparative difference between the Old and New Covenants in this way. Whereas the Old Covenant saints enjoyed these inward spiritual blessings, that is, all those that are mentioned, as we shall see in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 10 through 12, they enjoyed them on, let's say, on Christ's credit card. New covenant saints enjoy these same inward spiritual blessings on Christ's actual payment. That is, with his own blood, having purchased them. We therefore now have a greater encouragement to our faith that we shall inherit all of these blessings than did the saints of the Old Testament. They had the authority of God, that's sufficient. But we not only have the authority of God, but we have the actual payment made. That's a great encouragement to our faith. That God has already secured all promises, all blessings, all gifts, all graces for his people. It is an accomplished fact in the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. By way of Encouragement and admonition. Therefore, let us be careful that we treasure, that we treasure every, uh, every one of these gifts and graces. For they were purchased with the priceless blood of Jesus Christ. They were purchased with infinite love. Not because we were deserving. Not because we were beautiful. Not because we were rich or wealthy not because we were wise, but because he loved us and took pity upon our desperate condition. Let us remember that our heavenly husband suffered the cruel death of the cross and the agonizing misery of God's infinite wrath, not for his sin, but for ours, in order to purchase us unto himself a bride unto himself, whom he loved in spite of all of her ugliness, sin, and corruption. Let such love, dear ones, melt our hearts. Not make us haughty, but let such love make us absolutely humble before the Lord our God, and treat no gift, and take no gift or grace from Christ for granted. The comparative differences, and again, not the absolute differences, but the comparative differences between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant may be summarized in the following eight ways. Brief little statements that I hope will help you to see the comparative difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. First of all, as to the time of each covenant... The Old Covenant was before Christ's coming, whereas the New Covenant is at and since Christ's coming. A second comparative difference. As to the manner in which each covenant was delivered, the Old Covenant was delivered obscurely by ceremonies, types, and shadows, whereas the New Covenant was delivered clearly by the actual fulfillment of Christ and by the clear doctrine preached by the apostles. Thirdly, as to the extent of people in each covenant, the Old Covenant was extended primarily to Israel, whereas the New Covenant is extended to Israel and all nations. A fourth comparative difference. As to the means of ratification of each covenant. The old covenant was ratified by the blood of animals. Whereas the new covenant is ratified by the blood of God's only begotten Son. A fifth comparative difference. As to the efficacy, the efficiency, the actual bringing about real change in men's hearts and lives in each of the covenants. The Holy Spirit did not bring as many under the Old Covenant to participate in the inward spiritual blessings promised as He has done under the New Covenant. We can use as an example particularly Israel itself. Israel left the Lord under the Old Covenant, abandoned, turned her back upon the Lord as a people, as a nation under the Old Covenant. But Israel under the new covenant, will be regathered to the Lord, will be renewed in her covenant with the Lord. Sixth comparative difference as to the way in which God's promises are set forth in each covenant. The way. Under the old covenant, God uses temporal blessings so often in representing eternal blessings. Whereas, under the New Covenant, God speaks very directly to us about our spiritual and eternal blessings. Take, for one example, how often the land of promise, the land flowing with milk and honey, is used as a temporal blessing in the Old Covenant to speak of heaven. And yet, in the New Covenant, very directly, God tells us and speaks of heaven to come. A seventh comparative difference between the Old and New Covenants is as to the burden of each covenant. The many detailed ceremonies of the Old Covenant were indeed a great burden to those saints. Whereas Christ's yoke under the New Covenant is easy and his burden is light. Finally, the eighth, and others may come up with more than these. These are not intended to be exhaustive, As to the length of each covenant, the old covenant is limited in time, whereas the new covenant is unlimited in time. It is everlasting. Thus, dear ones, it is not accurate. It is not accurate to distinguish the old and new covenants as if the old covenant was merely an external covenant that bestowed only temporal earthly blessings and as if the New Covenant is uh, a merely internal covenant that bestows only eternal, heavenly blessings. That kind of a contrast is not accurate when contrasting the Old and New Covenants. Such a contrast is not consistent at all with biblical revelation as we shall see. Well, now let us briefly consider each of the blessings that are enumerated in Hebrews chapter 8 verses 10 through 12 the blessings of the new covenant there that are mentioned there are specifically four that are mentioned for us in Hebrews chapter 8 verses 10 through 12 the first blessing that is mentioned is that of sanctification look with me at Hebrews 8:10 for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. Dear ones, this is a figurative way of saying that obedience to God's law will be a joy and a delight to the child of God. It will not be like obeying a written commandment that's found in a book, but will be like obeying the very desire of one's own heart. Let me ask you, was this internal work of the Holy Spirit in sanctifying the child of God to love and delight in His holy commandments limited only to the saints under the new covenant? Or did the saints under the old covenant as well enjoy this blessing? Well, consider with me, Psalm, chapter 40. And there are many examples that uh, that one might uh, consider under this, but uh, we're limiting it to a, a couple. Just to be representative of the many other verses, but Psalm 40, verse 8. For David says, I delight to do thy will, O my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. Certainly this is speaking of Christ to come, but also I believe as we uh, see in many other places, speaks of the, uh, the very nature, Psalm 119, just consider all of the places where David says how it is his delight to do the will of God how his law is written on his heart or in his heart. Likewise, we see in Isaiah chapter 51, verse 7. Here the Lord, through the prophet, says, Hearken unto me, ye that know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. Fear ye not the reproach of men, neither be ye afraid of their revilings. The question may be then asked, how is this blessing of sanctification then improved in the new covenant over the old covenant? In this way, the Holy Spirit is poured out in a more abundant and efficacious or effectual measure as evidenced on the day of Pentecost in order to accomplish in a greater degree the sanctification of his people. And so that is a blessing, an internal blessing of the new covenant, but not distinctively new, only comparatively new and different in the new over the old covenants. The second blessing that's mentioned in Hebrews chapter eight is that of union and communion with Christ. Look with me in at Hebrews eight ten. <clears throat> And I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. You know, it's wherever we find, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. There we find that most precious blessing promised of Christ's matrimonial covenant with his people. He is our husband, and we are his bride. I'm sure you, like me, have some time or another observed a couple walking somewhere, maybe in the mall, wherever you've been. And you've looked at this couple, and you said, in your own mind, not to them, of course, that looks like a mismatched couple. He is so handsome, and she is so homely, or vice versa. And you say, in your mind, how in the world did that couple get together? What did he see in her or her see in him? Well, I'm here to tell you today, dear ones, there's not a more mismatched couple in all the world than Christ, the heavenly husband, the perfect husband, the wonderful, beautiful, sinless husband, and his bride. When nature is ugly, deformed by sin, corrupt in every way, yet the Lord has set his love upon us as his bride and drawn us into himself. He did not look upon us as if we were beautiful, as if we were faithful, as if we were loving, as if we were wise or wealthy, but saw the very worst in us and yet loved us and called us to himself. You see, this will be the question that we will ask for all eternity. And we should be asking right now so that we appreciate the grace of God. What did Christ see in me? Nothing but sin. It was His grace and His mercy. And dear ones, to be united to Christ and to commune with Christ, this is in fact the end of our salvation. You see, all of the other blessings that we enjoy in Christ, redemption, justification, adoption, sanctification, all these blessings are only means to this end that we be united to Christ and that we enjoy Him forever. This is the blessing of all blessings in the new covenant. Did the covenant, old covenant saints enjoy the same spiritual blessing? Yes, in fact, they did. In Deuteronomy chapter 29. Look with me in verses 10 and following. Where the covenant, the old covenant is being renewed. Before entering into the promised land. There we find these words. Ye stand this day, all of you, before the Lord your God. Your captains of your tribes, your elders and your officers, with all the men of Israel, your little ones, your wives, and thy stranger that is in thy camp, from the hewer of thy wood unto the drawer of thy water, that thou shouldest enter into covenant with the Lord thy God and into his oath, which the Lord thy God maketh with thee this day, that he may establish thee today for a people unto himself. And that he may be unto thee a God, as he hath said unto thee, and as he hath sworn unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Neither with you only do I make this covenant and this oath, but with him that standeth here with us this day before the Lord our God, and also with him that is not here with us this day, with our children, those who are not here, those who have not yet been born, God makes this covenant to be a God unto them as well. The promise is made, but it is, in fact, realized only by the work of the Holy Spirit in any of our lives, whether child or adult. The promise is made, but only realized by God's grace and mercy in transforming and changing, giving to us faith, renewing us might also look at 2nd Samuel 7:24 which I won't look up to the same effect for God in effect says to the people at that time I have become a god to thee and thou art my people this blessing was realized by old covenant saints it is not absolutely new the new covenant it is relatively new it is comparatively new it is new and improved how is it new and improved, in the new covenant. Well, dear ones, we have now seen, through the pages, in the revelation of Scripture, we have seen our Savior come from the glory of heaven and suffer and die in our place that we might no longer be the prostitutes of Satan, but might be the bride of Christ. His love for us is the greatest love story ever told. Such love, beloved, compels us to reciprocate that love which has been shown to us. Such love drives us not away from Christ when we have sinned. It drives us to our Savior, to turn from our sin, to seek His forgiveness, to live according to His commandments. The third spiritual blessing that is mentioned In Hebrews chapter 8 is found in verse 11, that of illumination, illumination. There we read, and they shall not teach every man his neighbor, and every man his brother saying, know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. There this blessing cannot be understood in some absolute sense. Otherwise, it would be telling us that ministers, teachers, and parents are really unnecessary in our lives. That we really don't need anybody to instruct us at all. Because all will inherently, by virtue of this work of God in our lives, know what we are to know. But to the contrary, we read... just again, representative passages in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, these words. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God into a perfect man and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The Lord gave to His church ministers, teachers to instruct His people because we still need to be instructed even if God, as we shall see, has given us wonderful means of understanding, illuminating our minds in the New Covenant. We still need the Lord's instruction. But also... Consider Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Because children uh, are converted, do they no longer need to be taught? No, we're to instruct our children. We're to bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, as the scripture teaches. Teachers, are still necessary. This particular promise and we find in Hebrews 11 is not to be taken in an absolute sense that we no longer need teachers. What then does it refer to? Well, this blessing simply compares the clarity of written revelation and knowledge in the New Covenant with the relative obscurity of knowledge by means of the many ceremonies in the Old Covenant. The new and improved illumination is that we no longer have to read God's will through, through obscure prophecies or through ceremonies, through shadows. God has, uh, has clearly spoken unto us in his Son and in the doctrine and the worship and the, and the government revealed through the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, did the old covenant saints know the Lord, as this particular promise says, they will all know me. Did all the Old Covenant saints know the Lord? Is this promise for them in the Old Covenant as well as for us? Absolutely. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and verse 24. says, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, Neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me that I am the Lord which exercised kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Let him glory in the fact that he knows me. Proverbs chapter two, verse five, likewise, says, with regard to this spiritual blessing, that all will know him, all that are in fact partakers of this new covenant. Proverbs two five. <clears throat> I'll begin with verse, I'll begin with verse four. If thou seekest her as silver, speaking of Understanding. If thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as for hid treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Find the knowledge of God. Hosea chapter 6, verse 6 says, <clears throat> God. Convicting Israel to sin, they have committed against them the northern kingdom of Israel that had departed from the Lord. He says, "For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings." Wasn't a blessing, a spiritual blessing, It was outside of their, uh, outside of the old covenant. He's simply saying, "You have." put and invested more affection and time and energy in that which is outward. But you have not known me as you ought. You not rejoiced in mercy as you ought. So, in fact, it is a condemnation of the fact that they did not know him as they ought to have known him under the old covenant. Well, how was the new covenant an improvement in this blessing of Illumination. Well, the work of the Holy Spirit in illuminating our minds by what is recorded for us in Scripture, recorded for us in the New Covenant, is a vast improvement over that of the saints in the Old Covenant who had to see the Son of righteousness as if through the fog and the haze of ceremonies and shadows, rather than in the noonday sun of clear witnesses to Christ's death, and clear witnesses to his resurrection, and with the clear testimony of the apostles proclaimed one doctrine, one worship, one government, which he has given to his church. The last blessing that is mentioned is that of justification in Hebrews 8.12. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, nor requite him according to what his sins justly deserve. Where do those sentiments come from? From David in the Psalms. But rather wipes away his account clean and even places in his account imputes to him the perfect righteousness of Christ. Was this blessing of justification enjoyed by old covenant saints? Absolutely. Psalm 32, verse 5. Listen to the words of David. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Listen again to the psalmist in Psalm 103, where he extols the forgiveness of God and justification. Verses 1 through 4. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. And verses 8 through 12 of the same chapter. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow and The blessing, the internal spiritual blessing of forgiveness limited only to new covenant saints? Absolutely not. It is enjoyed and was enjoyed by old covenant saints as well. Well, how was this blessing then improved in the new covenant? Well, in the old covenant, sin was not put to the account of God's saints. That's true. But sin did remain in the old covenant in the account of Christ. Because Christ had not yet paid for that sin by his actual death. And so this is a great benefit. This is, this is new and improved that Christ has actually made payment of our sin. As taught in Hebrews 9.15. As we said earlier, the sins of saints in the Old Covenant were paid, as it were... Christ's credit card, whereas the sins of the saints in the new covenant are paid by Christ's actual blood. Salvation and forgiveness of sins. And dear ones, if the Lord has not withheld even his own son from us, but has delivered him up for us all, how much more shall he not give all things to you? through his Son, that are good for you, that are necessary and needful for you. If he did not withhold his Son from that agony and misery, when you are passing through afflictions and trial, will the Lord not give to you everything that you need as you put your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? See, the fact that Christ has paid now is a great encouragement to our faith. The fact that he has been raised from the dead, thereby showing that God has accepted the sacrifice that was made, that Christ didn't remain in the grave, he was raised, is such an exhilaration and wound to our faith our faith is not in vain as we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Dear ones, having expounded now the meaning and application of each of these new covenant blessings and how they are new and what sense they are improved over the same old covenant blessings that were spiritual and inward, I would like to draw our study in the new covenant as found here in Hebrews chapter 8 to a close with four concluding remarks. First of all, Our Baptist brethren emphasize that the new covenant is a covenant made only with believers. That is, with those only who can exercise faith in Christ. Again, since infants cannot exercise faith in Jesus Christ, how are infants saved? Are they saved by the covenant of works? No. They are condemned by the covenant of works, even as we are. They must be saved because of the new covenant in Christ's blood. Therefore, they must be partakers. If they are, in fact, elect children dying in infancy, they must be saved by the new covenant. If they are regenerated, like John the Baptist before, being able to exercise their faith. They must be uh, uh, a part and partakers of the New Covenant. There is no other way of salvation. Dear ones, this is a major catastrophic error in the Baptist system. For they have provided no biblical basis in their system for the salvation of infant children in the New Covenant. Assuming that they do grant that infant children, whether few or many, have a place in the new covenant by God's undeserved grace, then their supposed warrant from this text then ceases for administering baptism, which is the sign of the new covenant, to only youths and adults that can profess their faith. It ceases once they admit that children, infants, have a place in the new covenant. For if the new covenant does indeed belong to infants, even as Jesus said, the kingdom of God belongs to infants. In Luke 18, verses 15 and 16, who are we to deprive infants as an entire group of people of the sign of the new covenant, which is baptism? A second concluding remark. And it's more of an objection that is raised by our Baptist brethren An objection arises from our Baptist brethren that we do not know with certainty which infants are elect or regenerate, so that we may baptize only those infants. But neither do we know with certainty which youths or adults are elect or regenerate, even if they do profess faith. We don't know who are truly regenerate, who are truly God's elect. They don't, Baptists do not postpone the baptism of youths or adults who profess faith in Christ until they are on their deathbeds, so as to closely scrutinize their whole life, weighing whether or not there is sufficient evidence of their election and regeneration. They baptize upon profession of faith. We see in the scripture to that 3,000 profess faith in Christ on the day of Pentecost. And we're all baptized that very same day in Acts 2.41. Again, we observe that when the lame man that sat at the temple gate was healed, 5,000 believed and presumably were all baptized that same day or very shortly thereafter in Acts 4.4. Did the apostles baptize these thousands because they were absolutely certain that every one of them was regenerate? It would appear that such was not the case. For in Acts 8.13, we learn of a certain Simon, the sorcerer, who professed faith in Christ and was baptized, according to that text. This Simon appears not to have been regenerated, as indicated by his subsequent conduct in the words spoken by Peter to him, and yet he was baptized. In fact, Simon, I would submit to you, represents all those who outwardly profess faith in Christ as members within the visible church who are related externally to the New Covenant, not internally, but externally to the New Covenant, and yet are not regenerated. And that's not the only place where we find unbelievers and hypocrites within the visible church, that outward community of the New Covenant, considered members of the visible church. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, and I won't look these passages up, but just briefly explain what it said there. Many will appear on that last day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all of these things in thy name? And yet the Lord will look at them and say, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. They're very obviously a part of the visible church. Yet not partakers inwardly of the new covenant blessings. In Matthew 13, you have several parables there. The parable of the soil, different responses to the gospel that's presented. Some of these soils do actually receive the word with joy. They do exercise an outward profession in the word of God. And even to the degree that there appears to be some growth and some fruit. Or some some growth that is that is uh, that is manifested, not fruit, but some growth in some way. But is only the last soil where there is fruit actually produced and that remains. That is evident of those who are truly saved. And then you have the parable of the chairs in Matthew thirteen. You're not to yank them out, the Lord says, but they are to grow together. You have the parable of the fish net that catches both good and bad fish. Where you have, again, those who are truly regenerate with those who are not within the same body. In John 15, I like this one especially. Christ says, I, uh, I am the branch, or I am the vine, and ye are the branches. He says, every branch in me that bears fruit, he prunes. But every branch in me that does not bear fruit, takes away. What is the in me? In me is a particular way of saying, in covenant. Those in Adam perish. Those in Christ are made alive. Those who are in the vine, branches in the vine that do not bear fruit, have some external covenantal relationship. But no inward, internal covenantal relationship under the new covenant. That's why they're cut off. <clears throat> the same is true in Romans chapter eleven, verses sixteen through twenty seven, one olive tree, which represents the covenant of, of grace through history. Made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who are the root. This is the outward manifestation, not the internal manifest, not the inward covenant of grace but the outward covenant of grace is being spoken of here because there are those that are taken out of it. Those who are inwardly in the covenant of grace can never be taken out of it. This must therefore be an external relationship to the covenant of grace. In the old covenant with the Jews, but even in the new covenant, there is an external relationship to the new covenant because he says to the Gentiles, don't you glory and don't you boast, lest you be taken out as well. Hebrews chapter six verses four through six certainly evidences men, women, who were a part of the church, and yet cannot be renewed to repentance. First Peter, chap, uh, I'm sorry, Second Peter chapter two, verse one. There are those who deny the Lord that bought them. How is that? It has to refer to an external covenantal relationship, not an internal covenantal relationship no one who internally is related to Christ can be can deny the Lord and be damned only those who may be externally related to the new covenant and acknowledge that Christ has bought them through this new covenant externally by way of profession in 1 John two nineteen, he says you went out from us they went out from us but were never truly a part of us but they went out from us to manifest that they were not of us They were identified with the covenant community, this new covenant uh, community, but they were not truly internally a part of this new covenant community. We We could multiply examples. I wanted to give you a very representative view, though, of the scripture that's found in the New Testament, that, in fact, there are those who are not regenerate, those who are hypocrites, and yet... Deemed accounted to be a part externally of the new covenant. Thus, if we are to baptize only those whom we know with certainty to be inwardly partakers of the new covenant, found, uh, the promises found in Hebrews 8 10 through 12, uh, we must baptize none. We can absolutely baptize no one. Not, we must then baptize only adults. That makes no sense. That's inconsistent. If we are baptizing on the basis of regeneration, we can baptize absolutely zero. it not strange indeed that in the system of our Baptist brethren, infants may be members of the heavenly kingdom of Christ, that which is the greater kingdom, but are excluded from being members of the earthly kingdom of Christ, which is the lesser kingdom? If Christ has made a place for infants in his heavenly kingdom, he must have made a place for them in his earthly kingdom. Dear ones, we have no authority to excommunicate infants in his earthly kingdom and from his earthly kingdom. We have no authority to excommunicate them from membership in the new covenant of grace without clear warrant from Christ since they have all along been included in the Old Covenant of Grace. Provide the clear warrant for their excommunication from the Covenant of Grace in the New Covenant and we will gladly discontinue the baptism of infants. Show that they have been excommunicated from the Covenant of Grace and we will discontinue our practice of baptizing infants. A third concluding remark. Our Baptist brethren emphasize only the internal nature of the new covenant based upon spiritual blessings that are found in Hebrews 8, verses 10 through 12. But let it also be observed that there are many external blessings contained in the new covenant. Just as there are many external blessings found in the Old Covenant. These not being specifically mentioned in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 10 through 12, but many external blessings. For example, when the Lord removed all of the outward ordinances of the Old Covenant, the, those ordinances that pertain to worship, did he not replace them with outward ordinances of New Covenant worship? Those are outward blessings, external blessings. That the Lord has given in the new covenant of grace. They are the reading and preaching of the word, singing of psalms, prayer, the sacraments of baptism, and the Lord's Supper and the Benediction, as ordinary ordinances, and oaths, vows, thanksgiving and fasting, as less frequent ordinances which He has given to His people under the New Covenant. And what about the many temporal promises of the New Covenant that are mentioned? that are not mentioned in Hebrews chapter 8, such as Matthew 6.33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness in all these things shall be added unto you. Is that not a new covenant blessing? What about Philippians 4.19? My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Is that not a temporal, external blessing promised in the new covenant? First Timothy 6.17 that God has given us all things to enjoy. James 5.15 if any, any of you are sick call to the elders of the church. If you confess your sin you will be healed. Is that not an external outward blessing that God promises in the new covenant? What about the Lord's prayer? Give us this day our daily bread. External blessing? Of course. All the promises of God in Christ are yea and amen. Not some of them. Not only the spiritual blessings, but all, temporal and spiritual, are yea and amen in Christ Jesus, according to Second Corinthians 1.20. And so, that's a false dichotomy on the part of our Baptist brethren to say that the New Covenant only speaks of spiritual blessings, whereas the Old Covenant speaks of, of some spiritual blessings, but mostly temporal blessings. Not true. Not true at all. Fourthly, and finally, it is suggested by our Baptist brethren that whereas both believers and unbelievers in the Old Covenant were recipients of the blessings of that covenant, both believers and unbelievers, only believers are recipients of blessings of the New Covenant. False. Not true. I do grant that hypocrites and unbelievers are not partakers of the inward spiritual blessings of the new covenant. That are found in Hebrews 8, verses 10 through 12. But neither were hypocrites and unbelievers partakers of the same inward spiritual blessings of the old covenant of grace. Dear ones, hypocrites and unbelievers receive various external benefits and blessings from both covenants. In the old, think of the physical safety, the deliverance, which many were given, being delivered out of Egypt. Not all of those were true believers. Think of being brought into the promised land and the blessings that they enjoyed. Certainly they enjoyed temporal blessings. Those who are believers or hypocrites enjoy temporal blessings as a result of the Old Covenant. What about the New? Well, in Acts chapter 4, verse 34, it says, Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. Now, again... Are we to assume that each and every person to whom distribution was made was truly, absolutely, without any question, regenerate? I don't think we can make that assumption, since there were, as we've already demonstrated, both regenerate and unregenerate within the visible church. What about in Acts 5, verses 12 through 16? And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And the rest durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick uh, into the streets that laid them on beds and couches, that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about into Jerusalem bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits and they were healed every one. For so the blessings of the new covenant realized and enjoyed the, the external blessings, the eternal, temporal blessings by unbelievers, Certainly, I think we would say at least those who had unclean spirits who were delivered uh, were um, most likely not believers. But I think that we can safely say and assume that not every single person that was healed by the ministry of the apostles were regenerate either, any more than every single person that Christ healed during his ministry were absolutely regenerated through believers. In Acts 6.1, it speaks of of, uh, there being... Uh, Grecian and Hebrew widows that were daily fed and ministered to because of their need. Again, I would submit to you that unless we are prepared to say that we know with certainty every one of them was regenerate, that that there were the unregenerate that received various temporal blessings as a result of this new covenant that was established with God's people. In Ephesians 6, 4, there, we are told that, that uh, children have a special blessing given to them in that they are brought up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Are all of those who receive the nurture and admonition of the Lord and taught the right ways of the Lord, there are certain external and temporal blessings that all the children taught do receive within a Christian family. Certain ways in which they benefit uh, 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 temporal, uh, temporally and externally. Certainly, uh, as they, uh, particularly if they're obedient to what their parents say, avoiding much uh, trouble and heartache. Uh, even if they are not regenerate uh, in this life, avoiding much. And finally, in First Peter chapter three verse one, and again examples could be multiplied, but I simply mention this one. There, the Apostle Peter speaks to wives. He says, Likewise, ye wives, be in submission or subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. And he goes on and on there, which I think is very important, but I'm just going to cut it off there. But I simply want to say, is it not an external blessing if a wife is living with a christian wife is living with a non-christian husband should not our christianity make that wife even a more joy to live with because she knows the lord will not that non-christian husband reap certain benefits from a christian wife who is in subjection even to her non-christian husband are there not external temporal blessings that are received within the new covenant absolutely and it is as well not only believers who reap the temporal blessings and the uh, spiritual blessings, but even unbelievers who, who reap and benefit from the temporal and external blessings of the New Covenant. Thus, dear ones, we see how our Baptist brethren approach and interpret the New Covenant and its blessings in a way that is inconsistent and even contradictory. With scriptural revelation. When such is the case, it is little wonder that our infants and little children will sadly find no place, no place at all, in the new covenant of our Baptist brethren. But thanks be to God that He has included them, He has included us and our children in this covenant of grace. Let us, beloved, call out to God for our children with these words, O Lord our God, remember now thy covenant. Be faithful, be merciful in light of thy covenant which thou hast made to me, to my children. It is a covenant of grace not a covenant of merit. Be merciful, O Lord, my God, to my dear children. Please stand with me in prayer. Our gracious Father in Heaven, how we do rejoice this day in the covenant of grace. How we rejoice in the new, improved covenant of grace, in the fulfillment by Christ, in all the clear revelation we have. And Father, because we have received such an improved covenant, we are therefore more responsible to Thee, and our sin is more greatly aggravated in turning our backs upon Thee. We pray, Father, that Thou would forgive us of our negligence, Forgive us, O Lord, for ignoring Thee, forgetting Thee. For, Father, Thou hast not forgotten us. Thy Son remembers us and prays for us without ceasing. We pray, Father, that Thou would turn our hearts this day and turn the hearts of our children to Thee. That the promises that have been made to us and to our children would be realized in our life and in theirs. And we will cling, O Lord, to thy covenant mercies. We will cling to the promises that have been made. We will trust, O Lord, in thee to accomplish all things. We
1: ask these things in Christ's blessed name. Amen. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. You are welcome to make copies and give them to those in need.